All right. Well, here we are at, uh, where are we, Josh? Huh. Singapore. Can Singapore. you believe it? Singapore. Yeah. How many times have you been here? This year? Just in general. Just in, more than a handful? Oh, yeah. Or a oh, bucket? Yeah. So when you come here, yeah. what, what, what would you recommend as a good thing to eat? Laksa. What's that? Uh, it's That's a, not related to lox, is it? No, it's a, it's um, it's a soup with spice and prawns and shellfish. Prawns. I don't do now. How do you distinguish between a prawn and a shrimp? I think it's the same thing. It's a, it's a it's shrimp and fish of some sort and uh, spicy noodles. My feeling is wonderful. that a prawn is bigger. Is it than a shrimp? Like, I, have you ever seen a prawn that's the size of a, an American shrimp? I don't know. You no, know, I don't know. So, so I think prawns are always big. Is that why they call them shrimps? Because they're shrimpy? I, or maybe the other way around. Oh, okay. Maybe they were called shrimp originally and someone... someone we use it as a slang just, for a, yeah. a diminutive person. I, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. For a, yeah. Okay, so so what was it again? Laksa. L-A-K-S-A. So you got prawns, yeah. broth, spice. Yeah. Uh-huh. Now, how do you eat that? Uh, just with a spoon? You, there's a spoon and then there's a lot of slurping involved. It's, so it's here's a challenge good. I have with a lot of uh, uh, soups. Sure. It's like it's really hot. Yeah, and so how do you how do you deal with it? Not spicy hot, temperature right. hot. This is this is this you have that problem with this as well. And, and so is it expected that there's sort of like a five minute literal cooling off yeah, period? Yeah, that's fine. So you just kind of hang out. You have totally. the soup in front of you. Yeah, I mean it, it is going to be the longest five minutes you've ever had. It'll huh. you'll sit there salivating. The other thing is here in Singapore in particular, uh-huh. um, they have chicken rice, Hainan chicken rice. So and which you're, is, you are the third person to mention this. Now, what's the deal with chicken? Well, rice? okay, so it's not actually a Singaporean thing. Uh-huh. It, it's. Well, you can get in Hong Kong, you can get in Malaysia. It's 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 everywhere but here. But they have here the and I did this uh, like four trips ago. They have the first uh, Michelin star, Michelin guide, one star hawker stall. So they have hawker stalls. You know, these oh yeah, hawker stalls. Someone was telling me that's here. Right, right, yeah, right. They have hawker stalls. Hawker stalls are, are where you eat hawk. <laughs> well, they're they're little sheds basically. They're little booths. Right, you right, know? right, right. But and they're open. You can go to these stall centers. You know, they have like fifty of them. Right, all right. lined up in a street queue. food, as we would call it back home. But it, but you don't have to wander the streets. Sure. It's it's like a it's mall, a, it's just but a it's outside. Term. Yeah, it's an outside mall, and yeah, yeah. every vendor is a food vendor. So in this vendor, are they the chicken rice people? Yeah, Hainan chicken rice okay. specifically, and it's just it's just rice, some like vinegar and soy and whatever. You know, there's like a few sauces and uh, uh, rice, and then. Chicken strips. It's, it's just chicken. You know? Now, is the chicken flavored? Or is the rice flavored? What, I, what's the deal? It, I don't know. It just tastes good. It's, you know it you, if you, you taste chicken rice. And how, how would you describe the flavor? It's not sweet. No, it's, it's a little bit salty sometimes. It's nice. It's, it's like soy sauce and okay. vinegar. Do they include the skin with the chicken and the yes, bones? Yes, and that's, and that's what makes it so... Oh, okay. The fat. It's just perfect. It's a, and you dip it in... You dip into the soup... Uh-huh. You got the chicken, you got the rice, you got the sauces. Life right. is good. Dip into the soup. With the, okay. Well, maybe maybe I'll get some of that. I've I've the, I've gone towards more of the uh, I don't know what what people call it, but the the dumpling things, the yes. dim sumy stuff. I always like that. Shalong bao, that kind of thing. Sure. I don't know what so that is, but they have good. a in 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 China they have this thing in Shanghai in that region they have this thing called shalong bao, uh-huh. which is hot soup dumplings, and uh, it's the same thing. You better wait until better wait a few minutes before you eat it because otherwise you'll. It'll burn uh, your mouth. It'll scald your mouth, but and it'll hurt so good because it, it does taste good. Yeah. And but they have a uh, Shaolong Bao. There's a, a restaurant that's pretty. I think it's. I think it's from Taiwan. I could be wrong. I could be wrong on this part. There's a restaurant uh, called Din Tai Fung, and they uh-huh. have that. It's international, right? So they have it in Taiwan. They have it in uh, Singapore. They have it in Malaysia. They have it in all over China. Yeah. Right? And uh, and in, and in Hong Kong, and um, the they have it here in in Singapore. So you go to the, you go to the uh, uh, Din Typhoon, you get the and it's famous like these these locations you know 
every celebrity in Asia has been to these places. So got, they have the, is it like a steakhouse where they've got pictures of people on the wall? Or, or caricatures in some, like the oh, one even in, better. The one in, uh, in... Small body, big head? Yeah, exactly, and signatures too. They actually yeah. signed it, you know. So, uh, so I lived in Shanghai for several months in 2012, and I, I just got fat on uh, these xiaolongbao, you know. And so how, how do you eat those? How are they presented to you? Um, you get a bucket, you get a wicker basket kind of uh-huh. with some paper on it and there's a bunch of xiaolongbao in there okay. and you uh, use your chopstick and just carefully, when you, when you bite into it, it's going to explode in, just in soup, you know, so, and there's different flavors like garlic and, you know, whatever, all sorts of different uh-huh. flavored uh, xiaolongbao soups. But What's your favorite? Uh, classic is great, garlic is great. I mean, Cla- I, what's, a, what's a classic? I don't know, it's just, it's a little bit of vinegary, it's a... Uh, yeah. It's a little sour. It's nice. It's just all right. soup. All right. All right. Well, now that we got the important things. Covered, yeah, yeah. The right? point is, Singapore is great because you're you've got this nexus of all these different flavors. Yeah, yeah, yeah of course. Right? So you're right next to Malaysia, and they have their own like. That's oh, that's why course. I've been asking what people recommend because there's oh. so many so many things to choose from. And there's no real. There's, there are some things that are Singaporean, uh-huh. but the best part about Singapore is the nexus of all these other things from 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 Asia from Asia proper, like right, the rest right, of it, right. China, Thailand's north of it, north sure. of here. You've got. You know, a veritable melange. Uh, yeah, and, then, and then, oh, and the Indian food. Oh, God. And the Malay food. Mm. Just everything you can imagine. Now, what's the characteristic of, of, of Malay food? Like Malay how, food? Um, what's its deal? Well, it's it's not too different because they're, they are just next door, right? Sure, but, uh, sure. When you say Malaysian, that uh-huh. encompasses the country. It's big. Well, yeah, but the country, and then there's different regions that have their own culture, like Penang. Right, it's right, a, right. Its own, its own food uh, right. you know, thing. But, but Malaysia has... Uh, like a 20% ethnic Chinese population. So you got that going on. And then you've got the rest who are Malay. Right, right, right. right? And, and so Malay doesn't describe everybody in the country. Malaysian describes sure, everybody in the country. Sure, sure. So the Malay people um, predate, obviously, the Chinese, mm-hmm. and they have uh, very different cuisine. And what's their cuisine like? Oh, um, as far as I... You know, it's... it's in some, for some parts of that cuisine, for some pop, part of the population, it's informed by religion, which uh-huh, in this case uh-huh. is Muslim, right? So sure. there are some things that are not in that cuisine. For sure. Uh, but otherwise, it's, I think it's fairly, I don't know, it's a, I don't know how to describe it. Actually. Well, well let, let, let me model for you. Yeah. Right? Uh, I would say, and this is not, not complete, but sure. uh, if I were to describe American food, Right? We, have a, we don't have a sense. Hold, hold on. If I were to describe American food, I would say we have, we have a lot of meat that we cook and we'll have sides of vegetables with it. That's kind of like a template for generic American Right, food. as you opposed to fry, the rest of the world where it's vegetables and some sides. You might fry the chicken or you might have slices of beef. You might have a steak, but you have separate, separate sides. Now, right. we have another style, which I would call anything between two slices of bread. Right. Right? And you could have a hamburger, you could have a sandwich, you could have a Reuben. Whatever it is, we're going to put it between two slices of bread. And then I think it's debatable which one is is bigger, but I would say we have the Chinese slash Mexican. Yeah. Right? And then that's that's another subset of food. Right. And the American Chinese food is its own distinct thing. It's from, from, right, right. Sugar with some flavors, yeah. Right, right. And and, and us cosmopolitan, worldly people be like, oh my God, it's terrible. But then, in fact, it's delicious. In fact, American Chinese food is kind of like chicken and dumplings, it's comfort food. Right. Yeah. So and then, but then we also have Mexican food, which is like tacos, burritos, occasionally yeah. enchiladas, American chips. Mexican. Yeah. Right. So like that whole collection. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. If someone were to ask me, how what's the deal with American food? That's what I would start with. Well, okay. So it's the opposite for the rest of the world. The rest of the yeah. world does vegetables first and a, a dash of meat. Right. So right, if, right. if you go to China, if you go to even here, soup uh, is mostly broth and vegetables and you know mushrooms and whatever, and then maybe for flavoring, meat. 
Right, right. Uh, sure. And uh, so now, so now back. Yeah. Let me take you back. So to, Malay to Malaysia actually has a little bit. I think in the in the meat to vegetable ratio, I think it's a little bit more even handed than uh-huh. than it is, for example, China. Right. Uh, where you have a, like, a lot of vegetables, a lot of vegetables. And, oh, oh, and then another characteristic of American food: not spicy. Oh, sorry. Malay food can be spicy, and sometimes right, right. not. It can be a lot of fried food. There can be a lot of. You know, I don't know. It's just. Uh, oh, now fried food. That's an important like mm-hmm. trait of food. Like, it, it it would be a slight misconception to think that American food is fried a lot. Mm-hmm. In fact, there are some special parts, and not special. There's there's some sections that there's a lot of fried food, but right. really, you don't really see fried food as much as I think you do in other other sure, cultures. Totally, yeah. in American food. So it's, there's a lot of frying. Right. Uh, well, not yeah. At least it seems to me, but th- a th- noticeable th- amount. Here's my here's where I get into trouble is because I want. While I want to characterize certain things as being typically Malaysian, uh, a lot, it's not. A lot of the food that's in Malaysia is actually also uh, uh, Indonesian. <laughs> right, right, so, right. And so you get into trouble. Well, I mean, right? the basis of American food is like, you know, Western Europeans right. and then uh, and then South Americans, right? South, yeah, yeah, South, yeah. yeah. So Southwestern. The corn right, right. maize. Uh, yeah. yeah. So, so our, our food isn't. Authentic. From us. If well, you but will. I mean, yeah, exactly. So I don't. So one of my favorite dishes that I would that I would eat all day. For I, I mean I could eat it every meal for the rest of my life is uh, nasi goreng which is a uh, a Malaysian uh, oh, sorry Indonesian dish mm, but right. you, you can get it in Malaysia and so so what is it it's rice and meat and certain spices in the rice and it is so good uh, it is they have it actually in our hotel where you and I are staying at one of those starwood properties here in Singapore of which there are many uh, and uh, that is not the real thing. No, no. no. You can That's eat. like American Chinese food. You don't, you don't want to get that. It's. I mean, they do normally. Our hotel does a pretty good job, but that's not. It's not the real thing. Um, but yeah, it, yeah. That's okay. Good. All right. All right. Well, uh, you've done a good job of dodging describing I can't Malaysian really just, food. I'll, I'll, I'll have to go look it up in Wikipedia, and I'll, I'll or sort just go it out. try it. You can get it here in oh, Singapore. But see, it. if you could identify where I would go to get it, just and therefore it, it exists, or that's and then you could say what it Malaysian was. Food. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's, yeah. You know who would know even better? Mm. Our buddy uh, Adrian Cole. Oh, yeah, yeah. He lives he here in, wouldn't know. He lives in Malaysia. He probably wouldn't know. Well, all right, for the second half of our conversation. Uh-huh. So, so uh, you know. You're just going to let that pass? We don't even want to explain who No, it's Adrian fine. Is? People, you have the internet and they Adrian can look it up. Cole? Oh, look, I'll be like you. Does Does anyone have the internet? Yeah, yeah. The internet. Internet. Inter- internet. Well, Adrian. Do you have three and a half floppy disks? <laughs> anyone? Three <laughs> and a half floppy Speakernet. disks. Exactly. <laughs> Well, you should Google him. He's a he works on the Spring Cloud team. Does distributed tracing. He's a yeah, yeah. So, tracing. so, so uh, you you have this book that you wrote a while, uh-huh. and, I, and I heard the journey of the bird who flies through the clouds. Yeah, and everything. from Indonesia. Yeah, no less. I, I like. I always like the way you you open up your talks. Very it's, nice. It's very important and to be make sure they understand from the outset that this is a this is not. This is not the smartest talk you could be in. Sure, yeah. sure. Because they're going to arrive at that conclusion one way or another. I want to make sure that I'm right. the one who breaks the news. I, I prefer that approach as well. Yeah, yeah. The, the, uh, the please, please, please do not expect very much. Right. Yeah, under promise, over deliver. Although, well, or at least just, just under promise. Yeah, that, there you that, go. That so, so then, so you wrote this big book with Kenny, right? Yes. Another, another great person. Amazing. And uh, what, what is, maybe there's more than one, but uh-huh. what's one part of the book that you find you like never talk about that you wish you would? Operations. And so, so what's in that part? It's all about, it's all, <laughs> it is everything involved after you've gotten the REST API up and running or the message. Uh, yeah, so sure. all the stuff like observability, how do you monitor it? How do you, what about remediation? How do you, what happens when the service uh, falls down? And, right. And, and, and 
we use Spring and Cloud Foundry in the book. The book is all about how to build apps that survive and thrive in the cloud using Spring Boot, Spring Cloud, and Cloud Foundry, right? And so uh, one thing that we really harp on in the book is that if there's a problem you want to solve with infrastructure, you can program that infrastructure. So the way to solve problems with code is just to write more code, right? So mm. uh, and that's the nice thing about Cloud Foundry is you can just you can program it. And there's a nice reactive Java client that some people in the Spring team wrote, so it works nicely with that stack, you know? And um, we, so, for example, if something goes wrong, you can detect, you can write sensors, you can write things that look at the output of logs. Using, you can use right, the Java right. API to read things from Logogator. You, you can, can start to analyze what's been going on. Yeah, wrong. and then use that to feed into event processing, basically. Say, okay, well, I've detected, or complex event processing, right? Mm-hmm, I've, detected, mm-hmm. I've detected the word error in the logs two times in the last minute. Send a pager or something. You know? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you can, use, you can use Spring Cloud Dataflow to compose pipelines that respond to those uh, errors. You can do, so, I mean, Cloud Foundry, this book predates ever so slightly some of the more complex op- options for load for auto-scaling and, and Cloud Foundry. Oh, right, right. Uh, you put that in the update. Yeah, well, definitely. Oh, the, the update is already... We're, there's so much to do. But the uh, w- w- in the book, we uh, demonstrate, okay, well, if there's an error condition detected by some sort of sensor, uh-huh. put, put that into a Spring Cloud Dataflow pipeline, have something on the other end, a sync, which is a component that takes inputs and then does something accordingly, Take a, have a sync that auto-scales based on whatever arbitrary condition. So you, you can take whatever input over here, uh-huh. turn that into a ratio between 1 and 10 or whatever, you know, and if it exceeds that number, then you uh, scale up. If it falls below that number, then you scale down, right? So, so where, where do you think the, the line, and, and just, just like defining Malaysian food, maybe it's very blurry, but like, where do you think the line is between the developers putting all that instrumentation and stuff in there and determining what, what, how it should behave, and then the people who are like operating the software? Like... Like, like who? How did? How does? How does the developer figure out? Oh, I've done enough putting stuff in a sink. Right. Like now, I'm I've done all I can, or, so, or all that I should, because I don't really know what I'm doing here, and someone else needs to like figure out what they would do with the stuff I'm throwing. Well, in here. So the nice thing about this is the platform has had at the time we wrote this uh, three existing options for auto scaling, mm. right? And those are just knobs you could turn that were built into the platform. And so all we're doing in this... In this well, that's state, true. You've got limited options, so you, you can kind of like... Right. Like, uh, like RAM, TPU... Or I shouldn't say limited. You've got the perfect amount of options. Right. Well, you've got the ones that are common, 80% cases. <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh. So by definition, you're already set for the 80% case. What we wanted to show was that if you wanted to... If there's something outside of that 20%, outside of that 80% in the 20% case, uh, that you had the toolkit there to, to build that, right? Right. Uh, and so operators... This, this would be an operator solution first... And only then does it turn into a developer solution. And if it's, hopefully at that point it doesn't go back to the operator. Hopefully at that point we've solved it, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, but if you, do, if you do need to, again, you can drive alerting based on this. You could, again, I showed, I, I mentioned having the, the output of those sensors feed into something that does autoscaling, but the, the sync that does autoscaling could just as easily be something that sends an email by using mm. SendGrid or something, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, or PagerDuty or whatever. Right. So. And, and, then, and then so like we, we uh, you know, you mentioned Adrian earlier, right? Who, yeah. Who, I, I assume he still does this, but uh, you know he's worked on distributed tracing and, and things like that. Open and, tracing, and, yeah. and it seems like a, a, a large part of, of open tracing, as you say, or whatever, yeah. is having the developers properly instrument their code somewhere, yeah. right? Like, because uh, you know it's 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 entertaining to see the execution path of something, right? Like, I, I guess I guess what I'm getting at is there's two models of doing tracing. One of them is from the outside, uh-huh. and you're kind of looking at the opaqueness; you right. can't really get into the code. And another one is like it's actually uh, what, how would it go outside, no, inside out, right? Right. Where and and but that implies that developers Need or to be someone aware. has come around and like stuck things in the code. Now maybe right. they do it like 
I don't know what the Java kits call it anymore, but maybe they do it after it was compiled and they reflectively put it in or whatever. But yeah. there's like actual getting in there and messing around with stuff. Right. And so, so is that accurate? First yeah. Of all? And, and then so, so are there, like what's emerging is like if you're going to do this tracing, here are the things you should trace. Or does it, there's no common pattern. It's just like whatever. How do you figure out what to put in there? Well, okay. So the, yeah. So the platform will give you, um, the platform will give you the opportunity to, like, if, for example, these days we have a Istio, right? You can yeah, use yeah. Istio. Istio is an ideal fit uh, for uh, ingress coming into the application. But once once you've exceed, once you've passed that threshold from the out, you know, the cloud controller or whatever, uh, then it's up to your code. So there's actually intra-process, not intra, not not between processes, yep. but inside one single process. Yeah. There's actually stuff happening inside that opaque black box, right? Uh, so if you're using something like if you're using a service mesh of some sort. Um, uh, or a route service in Cloud Foundry or something like that, right? Uh, you can easily uh, add tracing at that layer, right, on the outside, and that'll give you the that'll give you the network, that'll give you the you know one hop to another. But when you want to go a step further, you need something that uh, you can use for for component boundaries, if not network boundaries, right? Yep, yep. And that is where you need to have code in your application. So these days we have Spring Cloud. Spring Cloud has a, a an SPI called Sleuth, S L E U E U T H, which is uh, one of the hard, I get so many questions about that. You wouldn't believe the the pr- proportion of the world for which that particular English word is a troublesome word. Oh um, yeah, just knowing what it means or just saying pronouncing it, it or... and all the above. Yeah, it's just not a it's just not a word that is. That easy is to... a real, weird word. Yeah, I have to uh, look up the etymology right. of that. Uh, that feels like a word that came from like the Normans or yes. not the Normans that came from like Vikings. Right. Or something. Yeah, something that was designed to flummox people a thousand years. Oh, flummox. See, that's yeah. in the same There's school another... there. Darn it again. <laughs> Either way. Um, yeah, so we have this SPI called Sleuth, of uh-huh. which we have one implementation called Z- that supports Zipkin, the, the Twitter distributed tracing platform, sure. on which, of course, Adrian works. Uh-huh. Uh, and so S- Sleuth provides uh, hooks. There's a, we, we implement the Sleuth API. We use it in Spring Cloud and in Spring. So everywhere you have ingress and egress, whether it's across the network or from one service to another or from one component to another, yeah. uh, that's useful to have that, we do it. Right. And then if you add this, the Zipkin binding for Sleuth, then it automatically automatically publishes those bindings out of band over either HTTP, mm-hmm. which is not the best choice, right? Right. Uh, because it's synchronous, so your you, request arrives and then something sends an HTTP right. request. Well, I don't want to sit there and wait for an acknowledgement. It's for all Just, those curl programmers out there, yeah, don't don't do that. And then, or you can use a, a broker, so you can publish it, fire and forget. So the, right. the, these and this is automatically done for you. So you make a REST call in your Spring code, for example, or if you make a, uh, if you invoke another method or whatever, you can tell Spring, I want all these things to be sampled, yeah, yeah. or some percentage thereof, and you, you can provide, you can prescribe a sampler, uh, and uh, Sleuth will publish that to whatever, it'll, you know, you can say to publish it over Kafka yeah. or RabbitMQ, and then that will, uh, those messages eventually arrive at Zipkin itself. Which then assimilates all the trace information to a, into right. a graph. So we got this wonderful framework right. for pulling all the and and then equally wonderful is that you have a uh, a standardized way of doing it. Right. Right. Like you might even call that a uh, what did they used? To, I never got a computer science degree, but a uh, a data structure. Yeah. Like like it's like this is the way that you format stuff. This is the expected interaction pattern. Right. So you don't invent that every single time. And, and actually, you don't even you don't even deal with it. So the if you're using Cloud Foundry and you're and you're doing something smart with the uh, with the cloud controller and the route service, or using a service mesh, uh, or if you're using uh, um, Spring Cloud Sleuth, there is no you have the library, you have the dependency on the class path. That's it. Right, right. And so it you're not actually 
So, no, so, so then, like, one of your, if not the most common demo is a reservation system. Yes, I... Right? And, and uh, if, you, if you remember the term business logic... Yes. So, some places in there are, is some business logic. Yeah, not, where, not much. Yeah, not much. So maybe this is a hard question and it automatically gets done, but for those little parts where there's business logic... Yeah. And let's assume you had to put in the tracing stuff. Like, right. what would you put in? Ah, so you, if, you want to do, if you want to do instrument particular paths yourself yeah yeah like we're really inside the black so box inject, not only the application yeah. but the actual like business logic code well okay so you can do that you can inject what's called a span accessor I think that's what it's called it may have changed actually we just moved some of that API to um, to uh, uh, somewhere else some, no it's a different slightly changed so it used to be you can inject something called a span accessor and, uh-huh. and then you would basically there's some way by which you can get access to what we call a span uh-huh. oh yeah, yeah that's right which, which is like a segment of a process yeah. that's running it's a hop right? yeah 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 that's so right that's if you, right. Have a, you have the trace which is the aggregate A to Z yeah and then I each, forgot I read about that right yeah yeah that makes sense and then each hop in the journey is called a span so you I might have I just impressed myself there I've actually read up on this you're pretty this awesome stuff. you should uh, but, but, but like I mean, yeah. what, I'm, what I'm getting at is like what, what do you want to log in the business logic. Oh, in right? the, like, well, in like a, and what do you put in there? If I have like, a fine five line method call, yeah, that's just writing data to the database. I might want to might want to trace that in addition to what Spring will automatically do. Uh, so, so you might say, uh, if I remember your reservation system, uh-huh. I want to look up a person. Sure. Right. And one of the things you might log is when I get this person's name. Yeah. I want to say, here's the name that I got, and here's what I looked up. Or, or, or something like now. Now the issue is that a lot of that could automatically be done for you, but like, yeah. I mean, so it's, that's why the reservation system's hard. But at some point, you want to know that like someone searched for the Cote reservation, and and this happened or not happened. Like that's I don't think so. What we like, like is, here's something that I'm sure I don't right. know if this happens to you, but this happens to me all the time, and it's infuriating. Is like on my passport, yeah. my name is M- Michael Richard Cote. Okay, right, and for whatever reason, in Concur, my name is Michael R Cote. Ox. And so the computers get very confused, yeah. right? And it causes all sorts of problems. And so at some point, I feel like there should be some tracing that's like Michael Richard Cote came in, mm-hmm. but then it, it, we were looking for Michael R. Cote. Awkward. So what, and like, how do I log so, that or whatever? Well, okay, so tra- tracing isn't a great fit for that. Right, because, right. Uh, so you can include context about, a, about, a, about the journey of a particular message, but the goal isn't so much to record the context. It's about so. It's so basically, all, all I'm doing in tracing is I, whatever span I'm operating in, whatever subsegment right. of the overall transaction, I'm just kind of throwing extra stuff in there. Metadata, that might be, if you that want. might be useful at some point. But but you shouldn't use this as a way of finding information about that. So you'd have a whole separate system that was right. tracing like this this name. Well, because and the reason is because sampler. The reason is because your distributed tracing system isn't going to keep. By, de- by default, right, right, if you're right, doing right. something, unless you're doing something terribly wrong, which is, by the way, what I do on stage, and I, I tell people, don't do it. Right. You're like, uh, I'm the number one contributor. The number one contributor no. of... The yeah. number one contributor of... Bugs. bugs. But no, but I, I tell people, don't... Because <laughs> in, your, in your demo, uh, in, your exam- in my demo, I record every single trace. Right, right, right. Every single request response anywhere in the system I record. So that, that's why my question is... But you're not going to do that for it's, most it's people. That you're actually recording, you're tracking the execution of right. the program. Right, but... But most people don't. You would overwhelm your tracing system if you yes, did that. So yes. by default, Spring Cloud Sleuth will capture ten percent. Right, right. and, and then you do like I don't know numbers, right. but you do the statistical thing where it's a sampling. And, yeah, and exactly. All, all and you can stuff. provide it with a custom sampler, yes. which Spring Cloud will consult to determine whether it should trace this request or this span. Uh, so, so my point is, that information is incidental. It's nice to know it was Michael, but 
we're more interested and, in the and timing. As, as I found out by the uh, the airline systems in the yeah. world, no one cares if that error happens. No, yeah, no. <laughs> they just return some red text on the web page, and they say must check in at, at yeah. desk all the time. Oh, that's so, so annoying. annoying. Yeah, like you, you would think we would use some of our Bayesian big data machine learning to figure out that like, that like this is the same us. person. It can't be done. Huh. All right. So is, is there another section that uh, you feel like doesn't, that was operations? Yeah, that's and a then, big And one. then we burrowed into like uh, tracing and sluice yeah. and zip connects. No, that's covered in that chapter as well. Tracing right, right. and also um, actuator, the observable. So sa- sampling uh, for traces is one thing, but also metrics. Oh, yes. And these are two things. These are two sides of the same Wait, what, what does metrics mean in, in your world? Metrics are... Uh, I want to accumulate keys and values and calculate statistics based on those. So like, like, what's a good example? So if you think or about, a bad one. Well, okay. So imagine, um, so now, instead of asking about Richard or Josh's particular transaction, I want to know just how many transactions I've had, period. Ah, right, I want to count right. every single one of them. Ah. But I'm not going to store a heap of metadata about each one. I just want to, I just want to increment a counter somewhere. Right. Uh, and then I want to be able to see if a subset for that. I want to say, okay, these are all, for example, all the HTTP requests I had one million of them, right? And then I could say, oh, well, how many of them were HTTP GET requests? Well, there's, you know, 80% of those. And then uh-huh. how many of them were HTTP GET that returned 200? Okay, so 99% of those, you know? And so you keep different uh, derivations of this of these numbers, but they're still right, just right. numbers. Uh, and you can keep those, you can keep those in your Java process uh, if you like, but that's pretty useless because then you'd have to visit each node to see the stats about that process. Mm. Uh, or you could publish them to a, uh, a time series database or a monitoring tool. Mm-hmm. And so uh, we have now this new framework in Spring Boot. Uh, well, we had this framework that we did, Pivotal developed. We hired a guy named John Schneider from Netflix who, you know, they, they're not terrible at operations and monitoring, are they? So uh, we, we thought he'd be a good fit. So he came in and uh, he built this framework called Mic- Micrometer, which is you can use it independent of Spring, but why you would, I would, you know, it's not, not a thing. Well, developers like to do all sorts of crazy They're things. They're wild and crazy, yeah. So, yeah. so anyway, this micrometer framework, is a, it's, a, it's a metrics facade. Uh-huh. So you use one SPI, one SPI, and it'll publish based on whatever adapter you've, in, you've contributed, what you've configured. Uh-huh. Uh, it'll publish those metrics to things like um, Prometheus, uh, Graphite, OpenTSDB, uh, Dynatrace, Ad, um, Atlas, uh, you know, everything you can imagine, Datadog, SignalFX, sure, uh, sure. InfluxDB. And so these tools will get, then give you the ability to drill down to draw pretty graphs. To, right. So you, know. so you, you pump your, your, from their perspective, yeah. raw metrics right. into this, and then they know how to analyze it and make sense of it, mm-hmm. or make a sense of it. Well, yeah. I, I, don't, I don't want to be uh, mono-judgmental no, so yeah. there's only one sense. No. But like, like uh, you know, they, they make sense of all this stuff and do something. And you can it. query into that now. So again, Spring Boot and, and the platform will both give you automatically... Uh, certain metrics that are interesting, like CPU usage and number of HTTP requests. But you can also say, okay, uh, all these HTTP requests, you know, not, I don't want, I don't want to know just HTTP requests. I also want to know uh, how many people have checked out the shopping mm. cart, how many people purchased this product, how many people visited this page, how many people signed up for new co- new accounts today. These are key pa- uh, key. Right, right, right. What is Performance it? indicators. Yeah, it's key, KPIs. My brain's a little. There you go. Lost. So you can you can have business metrics as well as technical metrics and these this is this informs both operations and the business right, uh, right. and developers so uh, you get a uni- you know that ever important single pane of glass you know right right all right i have two more questions okay i've got them are you, re- are you ready then we'll wrap up one so what's the deal with time series databases why do you why do you just call it a, why because it's a time series database and not just yeah. a da- database well i yeah it's a, it's like a we have document databases we have key value databases we have uh, graph databases and right, have time right. series databases. So time series database is like a, it's a dictionary, 
mm-hmm. like Redis. So it stores the keys and values, but it also stores every iteration of that value over time. So right, you can right, look right. at the history of that value. You know, what number was it a minute ago, a week ago, an hour ago? And then because you have that, uh, that availability, they have that visibility, uh, you have that data, you can then feed that into a graph and then plot trends. Right, right, right. And, and you can summarize it if you want. And, and, and yeah. I guess more of my question is like, so do you call it a time series database because it's built around doing only that and yeah. so most perform it doing it? or be, Because you could use that data structure anywhere, right? Like you could just store that wherever you want it, but it may be a bad idea performance-wise. Right. But, you know, you could make a relational database that's stored time series stuff, but it may yeah. technically be a bad idea. It's terribly, yeah. And so the, point, the reason you call it a time series database is because it's optimized exactly. for that way of storing things. And, and that's an important... This is actually a burgeoning community right now. Netflix Atlas is a fairly new technology that was open source in the last five years, I think. Uh, Prometheus is super new. That came out of, a, right, I think, right. SoundCloud.com. Uh, this is, and there's, there's a, the, uh, you, know, you ever read the, the morning paper from uh, Adrian Collier? Sometimes. Yeah, he's a, he, he did one that looked at a time series database a few months ago. And it was, it was something out of academia. And basically, this was like, it was optimized for huge data sets, like, you know, trillions of records or whatever. So, so do you think there was a time when sticking everything into a relational database was a good idea? No. Because that seems to be what we had for like 20 years. It's never like, I think idea. the last thing before this whole NoSQL, no one calls it, but whatever, was basically, databases. remember uh, object-oriented databases? Yeah, yeah. Like that existed. And, and then everyone was like, well, that's not cool. And then, I don't know and then we went back to RDBMSs forever. And so like, it, 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 whereas now we have the opposite. Like as we were just discussing, we're yeah. like, you want a database that fits the type not even the type of stuff you're putting in there, but the way that you want to retrieve and conceptualize right. the, the stuff. Purpose built for certain... Right, right. But, but what, matters, the, what matters, what the database is doing is servicing pretty much you, the human, right? right. You want this in a, in a document format. You want it in a time series format. It's not you, the human. It's the representation of that data that you're serving. Oh, yeah. What, what I mean to say is that we humans are programming, and so in, we'd have a preference for the way that we arrange things. Right. right. If you ask the computers if you could, they would probably be like... I don't know, make it numbers. Sure. Right? Yeah. Like, Zero and one, please. Like whenever yeah. all these databases store something, it's probably not in a format that humans would find useful, right? So, no. So, so like the whole point of all these different databases is like we want our data to be arranged in these different ways. Now, yeah. it's not purely our desire. It might be because we're doing this stuff, it has to be in this format to optimize it, but we make those choices. So right. in contrast, we used to be like, I'll deal with relational databases. Right. Like we, it didn't even occur to us that we could have an opinion about you, like, what things would look like. I think, so I think a lot of, yeah, okay, so fair enough. But I think it's weird because any programmer with her, her or his salt would know that you need a data structure suited to the data. Right, right. No, no. And, 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 that's and then you would have your ORM tools or whatever right. that would take stuff from the database and get it in a format but that they works would, for you. But they would, they would, the thing is we, would, we all know to use a, a data structure, but then you get to the database section and you're like, oh, I give up. I guess exactly. I just don't know how to do it. Exactly. And I've so that, that's, how to do data structures. That's kind of the weird shift that happened. It's yeah. like the, to put it in this terms, the taboo yeah. of making demands on the database was right. somehow removed. Like, we right. lived under this era for a you long assumed, time. Where, yeah. where, as you characterize it, it was just like, no, you can't tell the database what right. to do. It does the one, or, it's or, relational, and, and, and that's and, it. And developers would forget. They knew all the, like, in the code themselves, they'll sit there and haggle to, to no end about what data structure we should use. That's but right. then it's like, oh, I need to persist this longer than the session of my current running application. I guess we it's, only have one choice. Like, There's only it, one option here. Maybe, maybe, and we'll skip my last, but closing out with food, right? Okay. For a long time, it was like a taco is the following. 
You yeah. either have a crispy shell or a soft shell. Yeah. Or it's not a shell. And you're going to put some uh, spicy meat into it. Mm-hmm. Or, or if you're a vegetarian, we'll figure that out for you. But whatever. Yeah. You have some ground meat or some chicken or some uh, uh, skirt steak that's yeah. been marinated and made into a fajita. And then you're going to put some cheese on top of it. Mm. And then you're going to put lettuce on top of it. Oh. And maybe some tomatoes. And if you're lucky, some guacamole. Oh, right? So that was, like, that was like 30 to maybe 200 years of tacos. Right? <laughs> and then at some point in the last 15 years, someone was like, you know, we could change the taco. Right? We could make demands on the taco. taco. And taco. we could put, like, bulgaki in there. Oh. Or, like, we could put, like, what if I put, like, a sushi roll in the taki, a taco? And nowadays, yeah. you put whatever you want in a taco. Right, yeah, like it's right. so. So similarly, like it used to be, like you go to the relational database and it was just like rows and columns, buddy, yeah. and inner and outer whatevers. Yeah. Like that's what you got. You got tacos a taco. But then someone decided, no, I'll do whatever I want. You know, I think, and and, and I think they decided this because well, there's two things. I think there's several f- factors that play into this. First of all, data got bigger. Mm-hmm. I mean, we all we like physicists have been looking at this going. Yeah, it's always been big. It's like Ant Man. It's bigger. Or, yeah. Well, now, yeah. So, uh, and by the way, that new movie, Ant-Man and Wasp, looks amazing. Oh, yeah? Uh, anyway, uh, we had, data's gotten, uh, okay, it's gotten bigger for Enterprise. Uh-huh. I should caveat that no sequel has not been taboo, specialized data stores have not been taboo in, you know, science. <laughs> oh, <laughs> like sure, sure. Physicists generating billions of events. But they're not pro- real programmers, are they? They're much more than real. Uh, they're like, <laughs> they're actually doing really hard stuff, right? There's no, nobody's ever bothered to invent visual, visual basic for physicists, you know? No, no, you they probably get, wouldn't use it. No, because it's just way too hard. It's just right, hard. right, right. But, um, uh, so, the, so that, they've always used specialized data source. They've written their own databases, you know, right? And, and, and by the way, it's, it's for that reason that it's no small coincidence that Dr. Dave Pollock, sorry, Dr. Muck Pollock, um, on the spring team, uh, his previous life was in physicists, was, mm. was in physicists. Right, physics, right. and uh, he was the first founder of Spring Data, which is our project for uh, specialized data stores, you know, SQL, whatever. Right, right. Because right? that was his background was doing that, you know. Anyway, so first of all, it got more, got bigger, right? Uh, and then um, we we started needing to be able to query it. We need, we needed to be able to query this data in particular ways, right? And still be performant, right? We couldn't. We have a, we move more and more things online, and so. If it's offline, then yeah, you can afford to take this database, which is in, in a representation a data warehouse, and put yeah. it in, put it in whatever format is handy for querying but, it. But, it, but yeah, but okay, there you go. That's a good point. The warehouse model, that that offline, uh, you know, non right, online right. transaction. That that's the exact sort of thing that we did before, but we just assumed that you would only access that warehouse ever so infrequently. Right. So even there, you ha- you had it in your SQL database, and then you turn it into something that would be optimized for reporting. Yep. Yep. But now. That reporting has to be up to date almost instantly. And, and, so, and so my theory, yeah. it would be that there was there was a, a point is the wrong word. There was there was a time series points of time, yeah. so to speak, where maybe it was not ideal, but the most efficient, optimized way to do stuff was to have a relational database, right? Like it, it was like the tool that worked the best. I don't know about that. Again, well, and, 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 and again, we can invalidate this theory at some point. But then, as you're saying, the needs for yeah. data changed, right? Right. And then also, the technologies changed such that we could actually make something better than an RDBMS. Well, we, cause, okay, so I'm, I see what you're saying. But I think I would say that we've always had specialized databases. Right. But the performance wasn't so, mar- so provably bad that we were... Right, right. So, so, so the, this, this, the, right. the amount of data that we have and the speed at which we want to do something with it, yeah. sort of like um, 
it, what did it do? It, uh, I'm it exacerbated to, the problem. Whatever a, a nice way of saying broke the backup is. That right. sounds very really violent. But it, but it, it's it superseded the uh, the functionality of the original yeah. database. Yeah, and 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 I think we are all and you know solve so in doing so in changing that we've we've uh, fixed some problems and spawned a whole industry of vendors who want right, to right, who right, want right. to create more problems. Well, every every uh, solution today is tomorrow's problem. And uh, golf game. Golf game. There's always a golf game behind some terrible solution deployed in some, some, you know, vendor where. That's right. All right. Well, well, I've got to give a talk. Oh yeah. And, and, then, and then what's it going to be about? Oh, it's just it's just me trying to figure out what Kubernetes is, and then maybe maybe I'll get some uh, chicken rice, Honey chicken or rice? something. I don't know. We should go together. Yeah, that'll that'll be great. All right. Well, as always, this has been pivotal conversations. Why, why don't you tell people where you are in the Twitter? Oh, find me at at uh, at Starbucks man. S T R B U X M A N and. Uh, you know. And do you use email, Josh? Email? Yeah. Email? You can. It's a, it's a little async, you know. Telephone. Josh, Josh at joshlong.com. You use oh, voicemail. But, but also, um, uh, check out the, uh, the Gitter. You know, you know Gitter? Do people use Gitter anymore? We have a G-I-T-T-E-R. Is that like Finger or something? No, the uh, the chat room. It's like a it's like a uh, open source. It's not. It's, it's like an open Slack. So it's G-I-T-T-E-R dot I-M forward slash and then spring hyphen projects and you'll find chat rooms for all the different spring projects, manned oh, and what's the what's the gender neutral word for manned? For man, manned, like man the ship, staffed, staffed. Thank you, thank you, staffed by the spring engineers. Ah. Right. So if you have questions, comments, feedback, whatever, we are as always happy to engage. That sounds good. And also, you can find all the old episodes at uh, SoundCloud.com/slash/PivotalConversations. Now, do you think there's a space in that URL or an underscore? What do you think, Josh? Underscore? No, no, no. underscore. Trick question. Just all, all one word, no spaces. That's the worst. Yeah. No, no percent mind, 20s in there. See, my mind would want to forget that. I, I would know. actually try that's to That's why I like to tell me pivotal conversations, no spaces, hyphens, other special characters. So, you know the one thing you would never think to do? Do that. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Anti-Larry Wall. Yeah. Isn't he the one who said software should... No, I made this mistake the other day. It was one of the pragmatic programmers who was like, software should do what you expect it to. Uh, which, oh. which I think that's like saying food should taste good. Right. So, uh, you know, that's... It's true, but kind of useless. Yeah, yeah. So uh, we'll see everyone next time. Bye-bye. Bye.